Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Benjamin Edwards, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. We'll be discussing his article, Adversarial Failure, which is forthcoming in the Washington Lee Law Review. I'll link to the article in the show notes for today's episode. Ben, welcome back to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's always a pleasure. Uh, so it's great to have you back. And today we're going to be talking about a topic in securities regulation focused in broker-dealer regulation and enforcement. I wondered if maybe before we start that side of the conversation, if maybe we could have a little bit of background for the listeners in terms of how broker-dealer enforcement works in the United States. Say if my broker does something uh, illegal or maybe unethical that causes me to lose money, what can I as a customer do? What options would I have in that sort of situation? Is there some sort of setup in place to help me be made whole? If you want to go to court, you're probably not going to be able to do it. Everyone who has a brokerage account has signed a pre-dispute arbitration agreement, which means that if you have any problem with your broker, you have to go through an industry-controlled arbitration form. So essentially, the, the financial industry regulatory authority runs an arbitration forum. And if you have a dispute with a broker, that's almost always where you have to go. I think there is one broker dealer who does not require a pre-dispute arbitration agreement, but the name of them, it slips my mind. So generally, if you have any problem with a stockbroker, you're going to have to go to FINRA arbitration. In FINRA arbitration, I am complaining that a broker has done something improper. Is my complaint confidential, my claim confidential? Is it public? And if it is public, who can see that information? How can it be used? And what purpose would making that information available serve to maybe myself or to others in the financial industry? So this this is where it starts to get a little bit more complicated. If you file an arbitration against a broker, the fact of that filing uh, you should be reported on the broker's registration form. The way your complaint is characterized or the description that appears is not something you get to decide. That's decided by the broker's employer or the broker-dealer firm that they are affiliated with. So oftentimes that information will make it into the broker's registration form or become publicly available through that because the employer will characterize the complaint in some way. Importantly, you don't actually have to file an arbitration claim. If you make an oral report uh, or you complain orally to the broker-dealer, they're supposed to write it down and then you know, make it available through the system. So the goal is to track all the complaints coming in, uh, make them available. And the idea here is that other customers can use this information to protect themselves. Regulators can use the information to oversee what's going on. But you know, ultimately, these are just complaints. Uh, you don't necessarily have to prove anything for the information to be you know, on the complaint database. So brokers obviously probably don't like having these complaints out there, and they may dispute the bases of these complaints or consider them to not be fair or really not to have much basis in fact. 
Can they do anything about that? Can they get those complaints taken off of their records? What's the issue that you identify in your article? And you say there's a regulatory breakdown. Where might that fall? Okay, so brokers definitely have a legitimate interest in making sure that they get rid of any false or untrue complaint on their record. But they also have an interest in just getting rid of any complaint because it makes them look bad. And so what they do in order to remove these is they, there's really two choices for how you could do it. You know, one way is to go directly to court and ask for a court to give you a court order that the information should be deleted from the database. The other way is to go to arbitration. And if you get an arbitration award with, you know, making particular findings that the, the claim was false or whatever, then you can go and have that arbitration award confirmed by a court. And then because the court has been somehow involved, FINRA will go ahead and delete the information from the database. So what I'm seeing, researchers show me, is that you know, other scholars have looked at this and they found that brokers who are successful at winning these expungements, they are generally much more dangerous to the public than any other random broker or you know, the average broker. Colleen Honesberg and Matthew Jacobs, I believe they had a piece where they, they found that the brokers who win expungements are really about 3.3 times more dangerous to the public or, or more likely to attract future complaints than the bro- just a random average broker. So we were trying to figure out, well, why is this happening? What I, what I look at you know, very closely in the article is the process we we're now using to adjudicate these expungement requests. So if you're going through that arbitration route I mentioned, there's really two different ways, again, you could end up in what's called an expungement hearing. You know, one way is to seek an expungement after the customer has you know, rested their case within the arbitration proceeding itself. Another way, and this seems to be the, the most popular way now, is for the broker to wait and later file an action against their own employer or former employer and then seek an expungement through that arbitration proceeding where the customer who complained is not even a party. So there are lots of problems with with how this process works out. What are the grounds that I can, if I'm a broker who has one of these complaints on my registration form in the database, what are the grounds I can pursue to have a complaint expunged? Is it that it wasn't proven by a preponderance or some other evidentiary standard or burden of proof? Is it different? What do I have to show if, if I'm that broker who wants to expunge my record? There is a lot of uncertainty here, and in part because the, the guidance around you know, what they have to prove and how they have to prove it, that is, is very unclear. There's three requirements, you know, three alternatives. They all essentially amount to you know, the information false, the broker was not involved, or the allegations are simply factually impossible. You know, a good example of something that should probably be expunged is you know, a customer alleges that a broker did something to them between 2008 and 2009. And at the time, that broker was still in high school and hadn't even you know, begun to think about working in the securities industry. So something like that, you know, it makes sense that you would expunge that kind of complaint because it simply couldn't be possible. But on the other hand, we're seeing many instances where you know, complaints are getting expunged where the broker has seemingly admitted to doing the exact thing the customers complained about. One example that I use in the paper is there was a broker who managed to successfully expunge 
24 different customer complaints in a single hearing where the customers had alleged that he sold them variable annuities that weren't right for them. And the arbitrator found that uh, it wasn't really his fault that he sold them annuities that weren't right for them because the insurance company should have done a better job educating him about the policies he was selling. The tricky thing about this is you know, generally the broker is the one who's supposed to have the responsibility for selecting a product that is right for the customer. And that's very hard to do if you don't understand what the product is. We can imagine why it's in the public interest to have these complaints in the database publicly accessible to future customers of an individual broker or perhaps a future employer. So we can see why there's a public benefit and we can imagine why an individual broker would want to advocate through this FINRA process getting rid of expunging these complaints from his or her record. Who stands to oppose these expungement requests and what role does that person or those people play? Well, the problem we see right now is as it's playing out in arbitration, nobody really has interest in throwing up any roadblocks. The people who actually get to participate in these arbitration hearings often have you know, no real interest in stopping the broker. So let's start with the, the two named parties, the broker and the broker's employer or former employer. The broker wants the complaint gone. And if the employer is still employing the broker, that complaint hurts the employer's ability to make money with that broker. So they want it gone too. If they've moved on somewhere else, they don't really have any interest in preserving it. We also have an interest for state regulators. If this information gets deleted out of the database, then state regulators can't see it. They have an interest in it, but they don't get to participate in these arbitration hearings because they're not parties. In theory, FINRA also has an interest in protecting this information. But FINRA is administering the arbitration form, and they're not really involved in the process. Customers oftentimes receive limited notice, you know, letting them know that they have the ability to participate usually less than 30 days before the hearing. But they tend not to participate. And part of the reason they don't participate is because they don't need to, and it doesn't really do them any good. Like If they know that a particular financial advisor swindled them, they're not going to do business with them again. So they don't really benefit from protecting the information. The challenge is that the adversarial system we have set up for this doesn't tend to function very well. And there's never really much scrutiny around many of these requests. So we have a dynamic of one party, the broker being highly motivated to expunge. And the parties that theoretically might oppose expungement are and, and would be parties are, are very weakly motivated if they have any motivation to participate at all. And so we have what you identify as an adversarial failure in this process. And perhaps the biggest losers are the public and state regulators who lose out on this information and can't use it to inform decisions around where to invest or who to trust with that services or Absolutely. Or even how to target enforcement resources. Right. Or, or how to target enforcement resources. So I guess my question is, is FINRA aware of this issue? And if it is, has it done anything in the past to try to address the, the problems? And are there any open opportunities that FINRA might have to further mitigate if they have already addressed some of these issues? FINRA has been looking at this issue for some time. It's been a perennial problem. 
And FINRA has, you know, to its credit, acted you know, again and again to, to tweak this system to try to make it a little bit better. One of the issues we've had is that this process is supposed to be extraordinary relief, and ordinarily it would take three arbitrators to decide it. But under the FINRA rules, uh, you know, folks found a way to file with a single arbitrator by seeking only a, you know, a dollar in damages and then letting go of that request for nominal damages when they got to the actual hearing. So FINRA has proposed a rule to require brokers who are seeking to do this to actually have to have you know, three arbitrators. They've looked at putting together a specially trained expungement panel. In the past, they've cracked down on things where customers were being, as a condition of the broker settling their case, they were being required to sign an affidavit saying that their entire claim was false. So there's you know, things like that have been prohibited, but ultimately, I don't think these kinds of incremental reforms are really going to solve the problem because you have to pay strong attention you know, to the incentives at play. You know, if nobody really has an interest in defending these cases, then it really shouldn't be going through an adversarial process. In terms of this issue and some of these steps to mitigate the problem, not necessarily getting all the way there, what would you propose that FINRA do or how would you propose that this process be updated to avoid this adversarial failure that you identify? One thing, so in this sort of situation, I think the best solution is probably to move it entirely outside of the traditional adversarial process. Although, you know, law professors and faculty often propose committees, here a committee structure might really work because you could put together a roster of stakeholders, including state regulators, perhaps federal regulators, you know, folks with a strong interest in preserving this information. And you also want to make sure that they had the resources and the ability to pursue investigations and develop information on their own, as opposed to simply relying on an adversarial system to surface the information. That would be probably the best way to deal with it. But if we're not going to do that, I think we have to recognize that these kinds of hearings oftentimes amount to ex parte proceedings, that they are, you know, essentially there's, there's no opposition in them because of that. We can't set the rules up as though we expect there to be an ordinary adversarial system. One really interesting discussion in this paper, I thought, was the role of legal ethics in either contributing to or potentially mitigating this issue. I wondered if you could maybe speak a little bit on that and, and maybe what it might say more generally about the role of professional responsibility in the adversarial or not so adversarial process. Absolutely. Absolutely. So attorney ethics plays a large role here. The ABA model rules have, and they call for an expanded duty of candor in situations where the hearing is ex parte. The model rules don't clearly define exactly what that is. Some other states, uh, notably Massachusetts, have taken the view, you know, anytime the party's interests are aligned and they're pushing for something, that means that the rule applies. And so in Massachusetts, the comment to the rule explains that this is something that uh, is going to apply if there is an adversarial breakdown around approving a class action settlement. So there, you know, you've got plaintiff's lawyers who want to get paid. The defense has agreed to pay a particular amount. Nobody wants to disrupt the settlement. That doesn't mean it's the right thing for the class. And so under Massachusetts ethics rules, the lawyers appearing before the court have an opportunity to volunteer material information that the court really should know. And so the argument here, in my view, is that we need to change the attorney ethics rules around these kinds of hearings 
so that the attorneys who are involved in seeking these, if they know information that tends to indicate that another decision should happen, they need to provide that to the adjudicator. Ben, what key takeaways would you like listeners to have from this conversation or from the paper? And what open questions do you see in this area? So when we were thinking about key takeaways for your own affairs, you always want to make sure you check a financial advisor's record. So you'll look on broker check, you'll look it up, but don't assume that anyone who has a clean record or only a few complaints, that what you're seeing is comprehensive. You really do need to go and check a separate database to see whether or not they've secured expungement in the past. In terms of open questions and thinking about the future, I think we need to pay close attention to whether or not we should trust some decisions to an adversarial process, whether we should shift them outside the adversarial process. So, So some things you know, like this, relying on opposing parties to fully you know, surface and address issues, I, I just don't think it's going to work. Our guest today has been Benjamin Edwards, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. We've discussed his article, Adversarial Failure, which is forthcoming in the Washington Lee Law Review. I'll add a link to the article in the show notes for today's episode. Ben, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Andrew Jennings.